1: This is Dr. Saba Marouf, and you are listening to Unsung Heroes, Uncovering Stories of Inspiration and Action, here on Podcast Detroit. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Unsung Heroes, Stories to Inspire, here on Podcast Detroit. I am your host, Dr. Saba Maruf, and we are back with – this is actually episode 39 um, – our purpose here is to share amazing stories and unique narratives of individuals who have been sparked by their passion to become movers, shakers, and change makers in our communities. And we truly hope that by sharing these stories of positivity, we will inspire you to live a life of purpose and action. You can find us on Facebook where you can find posts about all our past episodes as well as our uh, – as and you can also find our past episodes on the website, podcastdetroit.com and iTunes. And um, – if you are on iTunes, uh, if you could do me a huge favor and just leave a little review um, or a, at least a rating, that would be wonderful. Um, I've heard that it's a little bit easier to do that on a desktop if, or laptop if you don't mind. Um, but that would really help me out because um, as much as I love having these conversations, um, I really, uh, really hope to share them. And you know, the more reviews and um, ratings that we have, the uh, easier that is to do. So thank you. And I uh, just want to welcome um, back our co-host, Calvin Moore, who was hey. not able to make it a few, a few times and he's been busy yeah. doing big things. Big
0: things. Started a new <laughs> job, sold my company, now working for another company that does the same thing.
1: Wow. And, but that was, uh, I thought that was the sign.
0: Office. It puts me in an office. Wow. So, but Fridays are, Fridays are kind of up and down. Mm-hmm. If I work through the week in the office and then I have to work tonight... Oh wow. I have to work like from 5 to midnight tonight. So this is
1: the Detroit Bus Company. It's the
0: Detroit Bus Company. Yeah. Wow. Shout out to Detroit Bus Company and Andy. Woo-hoo. Andy yeah. who owns that and yeah. I guess now owns me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't own me. No, right. <laughs> yeah.
0: You don't own me, but
1: yeah. Wow, that's really cool, Calvin. Congratulations. Thank you. I know that I mean, I think that's a sign of how successful you were you are and your company was and she's you so know? complimentary of me. Yeah. It's oh yeah. So nice. Yeah, because you're awesome. You know,
0: all I could think oh. is when you started the show you said, Hello everybody, it just reminds me of Grover from Sesame Street. <laughs> <laughs> Hello everybody.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny. Okay, I didn't really think of that. I think oh, it's no fun. everybody yeah. But 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 that. thank you. you. Was, yes. voice was uh, good, it's better. been a,
0: it's been a long time coming and uh, I'm I'm happy to report <laughs> that where I am, is it's fun, and they got a great program that we're rolling out there. And so it just kind of takes a little bit more of my time, so I won't be here every Friday. Friday. Are
1: you going to be doing the bike tours still?
0: I will be doing bike tours, walking tours, bus tours, strolling suppers, bar t- tonight's a bar tour. Okay. So uh, I'll be cool. thinking of you since you can't eat or drink right no. now. Mm-hmm. Happy Ramadan, well, by it's the way. A Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Ramadan Mubarak. Right? Thank you, yeah. Calvin. You're welcome.
1: <laughs> That's cool. But um, no, we had talked about um, we want to come – my husband and the kids, we want to do a tour – in the summer. So we're going to, I'll probably ask you about that, but that's really cool. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, And also want to say hi and welcome to our sound engineer, Jess. Hello. Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. Um, And today I'm really excited, uh, very excited to introduce a person and organization and really a topic that really, really haven't um, touched upon on the show. And that is caring for our aging population. And, You know, I think a topic that we don't really like to talk about as a society as a whole. Um, And uh, I recently read a book uh, called Being Mortal by Atul Gawande, Dr. Atul Gawande, which was very eye-opening. And it really kind of, really kind of demonstrated, illustrated how um, important this topic is. So I'm super excited to introduce Shaista Kazi. Oh, hi, hi, Thank you. How are you? (laughs) Good. How are you doing? Welcome to Podcast Detroit and our show. Thank you so much.
2: (laughs) Thank you so much.
1: Shaisa is the founder of Apnakar, which in Urdu means our home. That's a good translation, right? Yeah, our home yeah. or our house, but I think "car" is more yeah. like home. Yeah. Um, and Apnakar is the first senior care agency in the U.S. to serve the needs of elderly ethnic minorities, um, particularly those from India and Pakistan. Um, and Shaisa, um, uh, I was mentioning this before our show, but she's been kind of a long time, um, fan and supporter of, uh, um, this show. So thank you so yes. much. Um, she's always like liking my mm-hmm. posts and, and, um, we connected, uh, several months ago and we've been trying to get her on. And so I'm really glad that we made this happen today. Um, but she's always been really enthusiastic and she's very enthusiastic about talking and sharing, uh, her story and just her, her amazing experiences, um, which were you know, I'm looking forward to diving into here, but she has a medical background, um, having gone to medical school in England, but due to life circumstances, um, was never, never practiced medicine. But I would say that this background really gives you a unique understanding both of cultural and medical um, issues in our aging population. And, um, so as I mentioned, I read this book, which, um, is really about being mortal, which is about how modern medicine has transformed over the past decades. And it really points out when it comes to inescapable realities of aging and death, our views on illness, um, sometimes our our views on illness and the way that we – our views on medicine really and what medical um, treatment has kind of um, evolved into the past few decades is sometimes very counterintuitive to what actually matters in people's lives. And there's one quote that I kind of wanted to start out with from the book that – um, goes, our most cruel failure failure in how we treat the sick and aged is the failure to recognize that they have priorities beyond merely being safe and living longer, that the chance to shape one story is essential to sustaining meaning in life, that we have the opportunity to refashion our institutions, our culture, and our conversations in ways that transform the possibilities for the last chapters of everyone's lives. So with that, I'm really excited to have this conversation with you, shysta to talk about what you, what you did, really, when you saw a hole in our in the system, um, that's really pervasive in our society. So, um, welcome again
2: and tell us a little bit about yourself and your story. So one of the things that I think, uh, started me to gravitate more towards, um, this industry was that, uh, 10 years ago, my father was diagnosed with a debilitating neurological condition. Um, it was around one of those medical conditions that you read about in medical school where like literally 1% will mm-hmm. get it. Uh, shy, uh, at now they've uh, named it a completely different name, but before it was shy dagger. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, um, now called multiple systemic atrophy where his cerebellum is degenerating at more rapid pace than um, the rest of his, like a normal aging brain would. And with that, what's happened is that he has like, you know, shoot out a lot of medical terms, but he has a lot of um, issues with balance, with gait, with uh, speech, swallowing. I mean, it's pretty much his body is totally shutting down. And when he was diagnosed, I knew based with my medical background that he would require total care eventually. Um, my mom and brother may not, cause we're only two, it's just four of us. Um, uh, my brother, you know, probably was not as well prepared as probably I was just because of my medical background, but I knew that he would require total care. And I had kind of expect, told my mom that this is the <clears throat> way we're kind of, uh, you know, looking at, you know, his disease. Um, then at the same time, my mother-in-law came to live with me as well. Yeah, my mother-in-law's main issues were, aside from the fact that, you know, she was diabetic, she had mild, mild spinal stenosis, some other, you know, medical health issues, she came from a joint family, and for her to live independently was not possible, So when she came to live with us, I was working because I, even though I, you know, didn't do a residency, I always try to stay as relevant in the field as possible. So I would do a lot of research, and I had uh, recently had acquired a position at Providence and Providence Park as a research coordinator in neurosciences. Mm -hmm. And so my kids were small at the time, uh, and what I found was that my husband was at contact local senior care agencies, have them help, you know, um, me out during the day, uh, so that they could give her the breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, what we did was when we did contact local senior care agency they weren't able to meet the cultural de- her cultural demands they tried their hardest but they could not communicate with her they could not make the foods that she was you know used to i mean they would offer her soup and sandwiches and she would just kind of give them a blank stare not a blank stare there were other choice words that were being used right. which they did not understand but they would be um they i mean
0: they probably understood the tone right yeah uh, I, yeah understand you but i understand you yeah exactly
2: so i would literally walk in at four after picking up the kids and i would have to restart everything again and i just remember day in and day out it would just continually you know get worse not better and at my parents home sure my mom at that time because she's much younger than my father um and she was able to physically lift him and things like that, but he was still pretty mobile. Um, but I knew as his condition would deteriorate, he she would need help. So we had other caregivers come in. This is before I started the company. And let's say she was praying, the aide would walk in, not understanding, and keep saying "Mrs. Rizvi, Mrs. Rizvi," and she would not, you know, respond because she was praying. Mm. Um, she would have to tell them, listen, I'm praying, you know, or if she was doing something and she didn't want them to be around, uh, you know, due to whatever religious things she was doing. um, There was always some cultural issues. So um, July of 2014, probably a few months prior, I was like, you know, I can't be the only person in this situation. I can't imagine doing this each and every day. And starting from, you know, like literally square one, each and every single day coming back into my house and restart everything again. July of 2014, I quit my job and I started the concept of Heart. Now, I have no business background. I had no clue what I was doing. All I knew was that the other senior care companies that were coming in using what they, um, their platform, I just kind of mimicked that same type of platform mm-hmm. and just used this idea of helping at the time of course was the indian and pakistani community because that is um you know my background my cultural background my parents you know are from uh, india and pakistan so um i felt comfortable with you know starting with that community but as time has progressed it looks like i'm going to be including um you know all Elderly ethnic minorities, because we do get constant phone calls, constant inquiries from not only just in the state of Michigan, but other places as well, um, asking for caregivers who are of similar cultural or religious background as their loved one. Um, so that's where, you know, we started in July 2014. We're still here. We haven't shut down. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's days where I'm just like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm hoping that, you know, um, we. Uh, can keep continuing forward with the agenda that we have. Okay. So, how many um,
1: people do you think you've helped up to this point? So, this is going on your fourth year. How many homes or how many um, employees do you have? Like describe kind of just like the breadth of your. So, services. when I
2: started the company in July two thousand fourteen, we had one patient and one client. In one client. And each and every day I'd be like counting on my finger. Yeah, I got one. Right. <laughs> and then starting January as the commu- – because I did very little marketing. First of all, I didn't have a budget because I had no money like to start – you know, it was more or less just going in full force. So there was no, like, you know, angel investor. or There was nothing. And this was all going to be done with whatever income or savings my husband and I had, uh, much to his, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, confusion. Like, what are you talking <laughs> about? We're using our savings? I'm like, yes, it'll help and better the community. Um, what about our house? Yeah, exactly. I'm like, we don't need a house. <laughs> it's up in a, up in a car, Yeah, <laughs> yeah up, Our house, my home, your home. <laughs> Do you understand? It's all together. But um so uh, as I said, we had no investors. We had nothing. So it was just going to be based on, well, the clients that we have and their payment. The other aspect of the company, before I get to your question, was that when I started this company, I knew one thing that I wanted to do was a social aspect for the company, which was to train women who were of... um who were victims of domestic violence are those who are from lower socioeconomic backgrounds, recent refugees, and train them for free as certified nursing assistants and home health aides. And we were lucky to get, um, you know, I met some great people at Covenant Academy, which is a nursing assistant school, home health aid school um, on Telegraph and, no, Woodward and Square Lake.
1: Mm. And
2: um, it's a two-week program, and we can get these women in and out. It has not worked to what I thought. I thought I was giving these women this platform and this, you know, it was a financial platform in the sense that this would not be where I'd want them for like, you know, um, years to come, but it would be like a jumping off platform where at least now they would get a job where there would be consistency, consistent hours. Uh, they would have a certificate, which later on, if they would want to, they could build upon that, you know, by taking other, you know, technical classes, maybe becoming a patient care technician, different types mm-hmm. of, you know, opportunities that are out there once. Um, but, you know, as when you go in with anything that's new and not familiar one of the things that we notice a lot of these women are find it very difficult to get out of that pattern to get out into that, you know, um, kind of letting go a lot of, um, their situation and they kind of get sucked back into this whirlpool. Um, but we, you know, have had some good luck with getting those women into the program and keeping them, we guarantee them employee for, um, has, well, two years are guaranteed. After that, if they want to move on, they can. They have every right to move on. I want to keep them as much as I can. But um, So when I started the company, again, like I said, we had about one employee, and now we're at 40-plus. It's not wow.
0: bad. 40-plus yeah. employees, yeah. how many patients?
2: It varies. It varies. It depends. Mm. I mean, I – At because, least 40. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> changes in yeah. and out, right? and that depending changes, on circumstances. Yes, exactly. And not only that. Because I was in this situation where when my mother-in-law's caregivers with that, with the companies that we were using, we had a revolving door of caregivers, which was hard on the family, which was hard on me, because then you would have to reteach everything. So I try to keep one caregiver per family. And if they're doing 24 hours, literally one person, you know, for the night. So
0: so when it, I mean, when it comes to uh, elder care, aging in America, That tends to be a – the more I do my show, the more I hear about things that I otherwise wouldn't necessarily hear about. But when we talk about an invisible generation, like you've you've no – you no longer have a use to society. Yeah. That's kind of the view that people have as people age. You you age out, you retire, and then you become a burden or whatnot. So obviously that's not true, but that is the public perception. So. Going into that, I mean, the the cultural aspects of what you do aside, what are some of the challenges we face in society in dealing with the elderly and and, and sick population?
2: So I'll be honest with you. It's a cost. It's a financial burden on families. And I have seen it um, day in and day out with families contemplating care and a lot of them need the care because they're working outside of the home. I mean, there's 43.5 million caregivers right now in this country. I can't remember the breakdown, but there's that's like unpaid and paid caregivers. Hmm. And a lot of them are having to leave the workforce because they're having to take care of their loved one. And then there's no supplemental income for them. And so here they are trying to do the right thing by taking care of their loved one, but then they don't have access to, you know, um, help. And not only do you have this financial burden, but then you also have this emotional burden as well, which is um, resentment, guilt, and not only guilt and resentment, but, um, you know, watching some, one of the things that I don't think I uh realized was the emotional toll that takes on the family um and especially the primary caregiver which is usually the spouse um and getting them some type of respite or getting them some kind of um you know um uh, i don't even know what to call it but like uh i think it yeah respite is where they could get some uh help and give them a break because that emotional toll too aside from the financial burden is a lot for any family to bear and then as a community as a whole and as a com- country as a whole as a culture as a whole it you know it seeps through everything because if you're looking at having your caregiver like your loved one your Son, daughter, whoever it is, spouse, they're not able to go back into the workforce. So you had uh, end up having that type of uh, labor issues as well. Mm-hmm. So I mean, like on a whole, I mean, you know, it's uh, very costly <laughs> to the economic workforce and then just your own as well. So one of the things is is that you know they. Like I just met like a couple of days ago, my financial advisor, and he was like, So when do you plan on retiring? You know, <laughs> just to meet your, you know, f- financial goals. And I remember thinking, I was like, and I told him very pro- point blank. I was like, you're looking at these numbers as if I'm going to be well. There is a big chance that at retirement, I may fall ill or my spouse may fall ill. How are you going to help me set up, you know, set me up for that? And the only reason I can think that way is because of the industry that I'm in. But not everybody's going to think that way. So when we think of retirement, we think, okay, they're on the golf course or in these like, you know, like assisted living communities or what have you. But a lot of times, I mean, how many people are that? like what percentage of the population is healthy at 85 a lot of them are requiring assistance mm-hmm. a lot of them are requiring care and what are we going to do as you know a country on how to take care of the elderly Um, many of them, as we know, want to stay home and they want to age in place. They do not want to be placed in facilities, nursing home or assisted living. And assisted living and nursing homes are quite costly. I did not know that, but they are quite costly. And, you know, Medicare pays a certain amount. Medicaid pays, you know, what they pay. But, you know, I remember. Being in medical school and studying, you know, I never received a course on Medicare or mm-hmm. Medicaid. I have no clue until now because I'm in the trenches of it, not understanding um, what is provided for and what is not. Now, of course, I do, but that was just because of a lot of, uh, you know, learning I had to do on my own. Um, but, you know, I hope that, you know, answers uh, a bit of your question. That, yeah. yeah, the financial aspect is one thing where I think as a— country, we really don't know how to face. I think uh, the Trump administration had passed something for the Family Leave Act, I think. I'm not quite sure. But I don't know how much that's going to trickle down to the different states and what they're going to be allotted. Caring Across Generations, I know, is trying to pass a bill where it'll be like each family will get a stipend And they'll get a certain dollar amount in Hawaii. They did pass this, but every family is given like eighty dollars a day. That could be like adult daycare or, and like if they're use transportation to and from. But eighty dollars a day is not going to most agent most Mm -hmm. most senior care agencies are charging between you know nineteen to twenty five an hour. We're one that doesn't because we're just like whatever. We'll just you know try to keep it as low as possible so that we can help, you know, the community Mm. members. I mean, we take on patients that can only afford $10 an hour. Um, It doesn't make us, you know, our company anything, but at least we know that, you know, they're taken care of. um, The 80- or 5-year-old spouse who can't lift her 90-year-old husband, at least Mm. we know, um, you know, is being taken care of. So that's, you know, where uh, currently we're at. But if you look at Japan, because they have – as a society, they don't have enough young youth to take care of the elderly. So they have a large elderly population and a massive gap. And so they're really innovated. A lot of innovating things coming out from there about how to look, you know, deal with um, um, an aging society. And A lot of what they're doing, you know, I keep up with it as much as I can. And I said, like I said, uh, Caring Across Generations, one of the um, uh, participants in that group, she's actually um, doing a lot with um, looking at the Japanese culture in uh, Japan and how they're dealing with the elderly um, and uh, kind of incorporating that into a YouTube channel. Uh the summer
0: it helps that uh, mm-hmm. Japanese culture in general has elder veneration, so even though they don't have a lot of young people, there is an honor that's placed upon aging in in Japan, but there's still that gap, yeah, you've still got to care for people and so that's yeah that's interesting,
1: so shaisa no, the you know the special thing I think about upnagart is that. It, um, You know, you really are helping to serve the needs of elderly, but particularly ethnic minorities, yeah. especially those from India and Pakistan. So you kind of mentioned this when you were talking about your family. But what are some of the needs, unique needs that you've seen, um, je- well, in ethnic, uh, my in the ethnic population and then Indian and Pakistani homes?
2: Well, one of the things is language is a big, uh, plays a big role. Uh, you know, is a big player in this whole thing, where you have clients who speak certain dialects of, um, you know, in India, they have like, you oh, know, yeah, how, so how, yeah, so many different states. So, I mean, honestly, we literally get a grocery list of people like who will call and say, this is what we want in our caregiver. And this is, you know, this language they must speak and everything like that. And I tell them that, OK, we're not at that point right now where we can specifically, but at least they will understand because they have similar cultural backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, again, language is the biggest thing. Food, Um, you know them able to prepare a meal that reminds them of the comforts of their home mm-hmm. um, is a, you know, big uh, deal. Like my mother, my mother-in-law's caregiver is Pakistani. So she's able to make all the foods that my mother-in-law likes. We'll speak to her. We'll talk to her in her native tongue. We'll watch TV with her. um, We'll converse with her in conversation. Um, they'll watch TV together and I feel like that uh depression and isolation and loneliness that she would have had if she did not have a caregiver who was of the same cultural background as herself um we can you know we're able to bridge that gap for my mother though because you know her my father's caregiver is from Gambia so she's muslim but the, uh, the uh, foods are a little different, but still because, you know, my dad was an immigrant and came here in like, you know, the late 60s, early 70s. For him, language and having the food every single day is not that much of an issue. Um, but it was good to have somebody like, you know, like I said, you know, if she goes to pray, she'll tell my dad to go and do vazu. Like she'll try to do vazu with him. At least she knows what that is. Mm-hmm. You know, she'll tell him, OK, uncle. Like the yeah. Prayer. She'll be like, uncle, now you need to pray. You know, it's um, um, so at least she knows some of the um, cultural nuances she knows some you know some of those things so that has helped a lot and I feel like that has added a lot to his quality of life. Um, we've had, Clients who are in nursing homes, actually, where they pay us to have the caregiver there three or four hours with mom or dad. Um, we had a client who was um, Indian, and my caregivers uh, were both students, actually. They were PAs, uh, Gujarati speaking, but born and raised here from, um, at I think, Oakland, and one was at Wayne. And they would do the Indian dances for her in the room, in the in the room for her, and she loved it. Hmm. And it, when she passed away, that's exactly what the family said, that you've added to her quality of life. Of course, I would say it's not me. It's those girls who would come because they were the ones who are actively doing the caregiving. Um, But we felt like having um those, you know— Cultural threads, the similarities that are between you know both countries, Pakistan, India, and again, like I said, I've noticed that anything from Eastern European beyond, and that extends all the way down to Indonesia, Malaysia, and all of that. <clears throat> there's a common cultural thread, common cultural theme, and that is, you know, still to this point, there is still respecting the elderly, still taking care of the elderly, or at least taking responsibility to take care of the elderly. And it's, um, you know, we've seen it change. The family dynamics have changed within the Indian and Pakistani community, but we've still um, are noticing that the children are involved in the day-to-day care of the parents. Um, and so therefore that involves a lot of communication with the clients and the caregivers, <coughs> but um. Those are one of the things that we've noticed within the and pakistani community, culture, uh, language, and food mm-hmm. means a lot to them. And we feel like that by having these caregivers, it, um, you know, can help bridge that gap that they're looking for. Yeah, for sure. I mean, well, I'll share a personal story. Um Shaisa knows
1: my father-in-law um, had a um, heart attack, actually, exactly like two weeks ago. Oh. Um, yeah. I'm sorry. If, um, and, yeah, I don't think I mentioned not it. not said anything. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. Is he okay? Yeah, no, he is okay. doing, right. um, thankfully, much better. But it was really scary for you know, a little while. And actually, my husband was out of the country. Him and his brother went on this guy's trip to Iceland. They've never done anything like that before. And so go on that trip? And Saeed so went with Saeed them, too. Was, right, okay. <laughs> so all this right. all happened, like, Friday morning when they, um, you know, they're, like, in the middle of the trip. It was only oh a four-day trip. They were like, and I was like, you're only going for four days to Iceland? Why don't you go longer? And he was like, no. And, of course, it was, like, the yeah. longest four days of that our lives. Like. Right. Um, but I will say that um, our family, um, you know, and th- we had talked about doing this show, like, way before, but um, have, uh, you know, did have been, um, able to utilize, um, Upnaghar and the caregivers. And I can, I mean, I can definitely vouch for, um, just definitely everything you're talking about, all these ideas and, um, you know, for him, like he, you know, we talk about kind of the age of retirement. A lot of, uh, the other thing is I think a lot of, um, men, you know, from that part, I mean, this generation, I mean, they were like so hardworking and, ambitious and that's kind of what brought them to this country yeah. to like against all odds. Like it's not a you know, it's a big feat to come over as a young adult, barely have anything and then just come and um, you know, establish in a new country. Um, but he, you know, really, his really dream goal is to really work as long as he can. And it's kind of yeah. like, where do you define that? Like, okay, when is it, when is it really like the point where you can't work anymore? So for him to lose, um, I mean, to this idea that he has to be at home and like, you know, cardiac rehab and really has to build up his strength and everything. Um, you know, he's had a heart attack decades before and he bounced back very quickly. I mean, he's, uh, um, bypass patient and, um, had his history of cardiac stents and everything. Um, but you know, so that was like really psychologically really hard to yeah. know that these decisions were being made. and um because, you know, he couldn't he wasn't always a part of that decision because he wasn't really lucid all the time. Um, but having a caregiver there, um, there was one particular one that um that you had uh, sent that um was, uh praying basically in the room um like all night it was like he needed 24-hour care so that's kind of what we was being able we were being able to provide through upnakar um but just having somebody there praying all night and he definitely did notice that i mean he's had very few periods of confusion but pretty much with it and everything and doing well but that was just like such a comfort for the whole family too yeah. um and definitely a personal touch and even just this short period where there's been a few caregivers that have been there and they've seen him from the time that he got home, like um, it'll be two weeks on Monday to like now. And they've seen the improvement and like how much better he's doing. And again, like, you know, sp- speaking, it might not be the same language, but definitely some of those common threads and especially the spiritual portion of it is like such a huge Factor and, and plays a huge part in recovery. And healing. I think so.
2: I think I think it definitely adds to the healing and the quality of life. And that's what we want them to do: is age with dignity, age in place, you know, um, age on their terms. Of course, unfortunately, they've been, you know, they've they have these diseases. They um, and you know, majority of my clients are sick. These are not people who just need help with like going to the grocery store. Unfortunately, these mm. are. Uh, clients who have these debilitating diseases, um, you know, whether it be Parkinson's or Alzheimer's, dementia. And what we try to do is, again, you know, have them age in place and age with dignity and give them some type of, you know, um, normalcy, Uh, to their day to day, because I always think it's such a drastic change for them. These were Mm -hmm. men who, and women who, were like you know independent decision makers, Mm -hmm. did everything their way, or it was the highway. Um, And the women too were pretty independent as Mm -hmm. well, coming to a new country with their husbands being out of the house all day, and then or and then themselves working and yeah. it's funny cuz like we I can I work
1: part time. I don't know anybody from that generation that worked part time. They were all like full full time yeah totally in it and yeah. taking
2: care of their families too. And then doing stuff with either, you know, with my Muslim community with the mosque or with the Indian mm-hmm. community, the temple, and they were I mean full on involved and these kid and they had the kids um and I feel like with this coming about I you know, there was always, I think, in the back of their mind, there's like, let's say, for instance, in my parents' neighborhood, there is um, a husband and wife. Husband was an engineer and wife was an OBGYN, uh, Indian. And the idea was for them to go to uh, Delhi in India and retire. And it was working out great for the first uh, three months. month uh, into Four months into it. In the, India? In India. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ended up having a heart attack. Hmm. Now the hospital care there is still pretty decent, but what was it? What happened was for him to get from his apartment to the hospital in the ambulance took two and a half hours because wow. they still don't have you know right of There's way. A lot of traffic, right? And, oh, and the ambulances the, don't. always see. The rickshaws an and the cows and everything were all. So the was,
0: siren guy no. in the back having a heart attack. No, there's no like, hurt.
2: hey, let's go to the side of the road. I mean, there is. She, she described it. She was like, "There's cows coming here, and the rickshaws are coming here, and not even let, in Delhi, yes. huge city. Yep, Major and not city. and not letting them get to the hospital. Well, they finally got to the hospital. So, anyways, they received the proper wow. care. But again, nursing care is still not great in those areas. Um, they're still lacking in nursing, you know, care. So, she was like, "We packed up and came back." The idea was that they were going to be there and, you know, because, of course, their dollars, of course, would go to a far better use over there um, and longer term. But they ended up coming back. They ended up renovating their house. Now they have an elevator in their house and because she has a severe arthritis and um, a caregiver comes and like cooks meals and, um, you know, is there about eight to I think one in the afternoon and drives them around to their doctor's appointments because it was just, you know. So I think in the back of a lot of their heads, they were like, oh, we'll just go back and retire in our countries. Mm -hmm. Or, well, I'm just, you know, I'm going to live till 100. I'm going to work till I'm 99. Mm -hmm. Um, There was no planning for that. They planned their grocery stores. They planned their building their mudges and their temples and, um, you know, getting a community together. But as far as for themselves of what's going to happen when they get old, I think there was not a proper uh, planning. And Mm -hmm. I think that has a lot to do with the fact of, A, their parents were abroad and they aged. Mm Mm-hmm. They didn't really have the idea of what it was going to be like to have the aging parent. Um, Their family or their siblings took care of their aging parent. Those who did have parents here Mm -hmm. in this area, I think at that time still there were enough people to take care of those elderly parents. But now with family dynamics changing, it's just not possible. And as I said before, the falls risk, the safety risk of leaving the elderly parent alone, um, you know, having somebody there and giving you a peace of mind, um, I think is, you know, always whatever you can, you know, think about. Well, wow. and I would say, I mean, again, across all um,
1: communities, not necessarily limited to ethnic uh, minorities, um, just, yeah, I mean, the change in... Just individuals, when you start to lose that independence, yeah. mentally things could all be – I mean like I have an um, older patient, um, one of my favorites actually. And I just love her because she's just so vivacious, young at heart. She always comes in, makeup made, hair made, <laughs> very severe arthritis to the point where her kids – she did have a fall and um, I think getting out of her car or something. And so the children – and she actually – this is very unusual. Um, I think she lives with her daughter. Uh-huh. Um um her um she's been married a few times her husband uh passed away i think she was divorced anyway but um but just i saw firsthand um when the family did decide it's not mom it's not safe for you to drive anymore don't worry we'll we'll take care of your rides and this and that but she is she hates asking people all the yeah. time for a ride and feeling like depend she hates being dependent on other people yes. and she is just such a, such a like very severe arthritis i mean the swan deformity in her feet i mean uh. just everything but Um, you can tell that she has, she's just so vivacious and just has this love for life. She does not like being cooped up at home. She loves just going out and going for coffee or breakfast or shopping, you know, um, and it's, I can just see like, it's been really hard. And, you know, I'm a psychiatrist, I treat anxiety and depression, but when you know that it's just because of those circumstances and loneliness, it's like, there's no pill for that. And, you know, we try to work with the family and the dynamics, but, um. It's really hard. So I think the, you know, for these services, it's like the full gamut from just somebody that might need some companionship or just really just for transportation need, needs yes. something with yes. work because of, you know, both her, both their daughter and son-in-law are working, for example, in the situation um, to the most extreme where you have like a constant caregiver needed like for bathing, feeding, yes.
2: you yeah. know, self-care,
1: all those needs.
2: And it gives a client, I mean, it gives the patient some type of control. Like if they want to go somewhere, they call on their caregiver and they can go. They don't have to wait for, you know, somebody just, one of the kids to show up and okay, let's go, mom. Yeah. You know, so here you, you know, and there's a lot of that happening. So, you know, and it takes a lot of pressure off the kids if they can afford it. But again, we're in, we're a company that, you know, Like I said, if you come to us with this certain dollar amount, we will try to work with you. Because again, I'm coming from a standpoint where it's not fair that, you know, you, you. I don't think you should be reprimanded in any way, financial or emotional, emotionally to be, to have to take care of a loved one. So I think, sure, we cannot give, you know, there's no public access to, you know, all the you know, to funds to take care of a loved one. At least as a company, we can offer whatever we can without going broke no. and going into debt.
0: <laughs> with with novel ideas or people coming along and saying, Hey, uh, I, I noticed this problem. I noticed that nobody's addressing this problem. How can I be the change that I want to see in and around this particular problem? Uh, novel ideas are often they, they hit the media or you, you get out there within your own community and you say, this thing now exists. All right, fine. Great. Um, have you – has this been – I mean what's been the response to it and and has it been re- recreated in other cities? Like like in Detroit, we have like slow roll, people who love to ride bicycles. Yeah. And now they have it in Norway and France mm. and down south. Um, and But it started here. Yeah. Right? So this kind of program, I'm seeing the value in it.
2: Right. Yeah, right.
0: Um, because the fact of the matter is everybody ages, but the system we have around it very clearly from your description seems to be very European. That's yeah. how we're, we're just going to take We assume that everybody's European when they get old. Yeah. Um, so have you seen this kind of program uh, recreated in, in other places or no. are you looking to replicate it?
2: So we so we opened another branch in New Jersey. OK. Um, and as I said, we have very little marketing money so it's more like word of mouth but the craziest thing is when people from let's say north carolina will call me they're like we heard that you have this program in michigan and we heard from a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend who got your number who gave it to us and my mom has alzheimer's um can you help us out here and i was like well not really not with what you know i'm like. And the thing is, is that we get calls from California, from Texas, um, a lot of the South um, actually mm-hmm. calls us. And so we can't be everywhere at once, but... You know, Michigan, because I was here, we wanted to start it here. But what we are thinking of doing is probably franchising it out where other people who have the same ideas as us, you know, same ideas as me of helping the community, helping elderly ethnic minorities. Because, as I said, this could be this is a tool. This is a company that can be used for all elderly ethnic minorities. You just match a caregiver to a client who can speak the same language. Um, Caring is universal. But the languages that they speak, of course, are different. So you can do the matchmaking. Um, like I said, we had a, we, you know, with caring across generations, uh, I met a woman out in, um, New York. Her, both her parents are Japanese. Uh, they both have Alzheimer's. They live on Long Island. And she said it took her years, years to, f- and this is in New York to find mm. caregiver who is similar to her mom. Culture and because they could not meet the cultural needs of Vermont, and that's what we, her, and I were talking about. That we find it so interesting that nobody has thought of it. I mean, I did know. So I mean, I'm like, you know, and now we can, you know, utilize it. But as I said. We've done very little marketing. Very few people do know, but people who do somehow have found my number, and that's my private cell number many times, aside from the office. And we do have a website. That's one thing that we do have. And people will Google, um, you know, uh, Pakistani caregivers or something, and somehow our site will show up. But we've gotten calls from like Pittsburgh and, you know, from Ohio asking for help.
0: When Ohio calls, you immediately say no. Right?
2: <laughs> Most of the time, no. I'm like, "Where are you?" In Ohio? <laughs> like no, I know you're Toledo, not near Ohio State, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm like, "You can't deal with that." I know Toledo. <laughs> I think there's Columbus. Um, so, you know, as I said, we get inundated with calls, but we can't be everywhere. But now we're starting to think along those lines. We mean be me because I'm the only one. That's but oh wow yeah so are you looking into expanding Yeah or? I mean we open up a branch in New Jersey it's okay. I mean it's doing uh you know it's doing okay it's doing with without having any type of uh, media exposure it's doing fine um but as I said, in order to I think continually grow this company you know franchising it out having other people come on board as an you know and then maybe we can start you know doing some media campaigns
1: what do you look for I guess for you know for any listeners that might know somebody that knows somebody. Um, What do you look for for the caregivers? Like what level education or background is needed? Because there's so many people that are looking for jobs too.
2: Right. I mean, at least they need to have a high school diploma, and that's pretty much it, and compassion and caring. Mm. You don't need to have... You know, like 50 degrees, you could have mm-hmm. like 9 million degrees and not be the least compassionate human being on this planet <laughs> and you will so not true. be a great caregiver. Mm-hmm. I mean, compassion is a huge thing. And, you know, I really pick out my caregivers. Uh, there are certain qualities I look for in each of them. And I've been lucky with the ones I've gotten um, in the company. Um I feel like they're doing it for the right reasons. Um, You know, one of my biggest pet peeves was like a lot of times my mother-in-law's caregivers would just be on their cell phones. Mm. And, you know, and I I wanted them to be engaged because I'm like the family's paying money, good money, and they want their loved one engaged and trying to keep them engaged. And I said, like I said, with my mother-in-law's caregiver, they just sit and watch dramas together but at least they're talking to one another. And then they're talking about, like, you know, societal issues because those <laughs> soap operas are so real and true. <laughs> but they'll be like, yes, it's yes, so true. You know, like I can see them deeply respectful, daughter in laws. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that's all it's about. That's all it's about. And Indian so, dramas. yes. And then, like, you know, but they'll be engaged and they'll talk for hours. And I think it's great. You know, I think it's great. But, you know, as I said, one of the other issues that we have seen with the caregivers, is that there is a lot of women who want to work, a lot of women who would love to do this, but do not have transportation to get to and from work. And, you know, We have tried to work with other organizations to get, like, let's say, the recent refugees. Because I said that, you know, we can even get a translator into some of these CNA and home health aid classes. The problem was transportation. How are you going to get them to Mm. these places to get them trained? And once they're trained, how are you going to get them to work? A lot of them don't want to, like, even if they do, they want to drive locally, let's say, in Dearborn. Well, um, Your clients are not, let's say, in Dearborn. They're in Northville or Novi. How are you going to get them to work? And I feel like there's a lot of disconnect within a lot of these organizations where a lot of funding could be used for transportation. Get these women to and from work. Um, these caregivers, like have a busload of caregivers going to work. Um, you know. And I think in hindsight, when I started the company, that was one thing I should have thought of, was trying to get transportation for these ladies either through some type of grant or through other means, Um, you know, literally Mm -hmm. having a bus to transport them to and from work. I think that would uh, uh, give a lot of women opportunities. Wow.
1: Well, this is just really amazing to hear um, about this work. And I mean, just number one, the breadth of the problem, the issues, you know, that kind of come up with um, caring for and, defi- well, defining the need and caring for the elderly. But how, I mean, and just, just I'm really astounded how you started this, just really grassroots, just you yeah. and your husband, and like, it's really amazing. How has started
2: upnakar changed you? I think it you know i'm one of those like my husband is very black and white individual and i think it's probably the field of medicine that he is that he's in that he is pretty black and white and i was always unicorn and rainbows and still in my (laughs) mind there's always like you know show tunes going on and there's always you know something you know like there is some type of note of positivity but one of the things that this has made me realize is there's you know um Your love for life, you know, it's, it's something that, um, has made me appreciate my life. Um, my, um, and I always tell my children that too, every single day I'm like, you know, Be grateful that you've woken up with the airs in your lung, your eyes opened, and you're healthy. That is your greatest wealth. Your health is your greatest wealth. Um, aside from that, you know, enjoy every second of your life. Go see what God has made out in this world. It is a wonderful and beautiful place. You know, I always tell my children, I'm like, you're not gonna have a house full of furniture, but your passport is gonna be filled. I'm like, we will take you and we will show you what this world is, the people that are in this world, there are still a lot of good a lot of good people in this world than there are bad. Um, and, um, yeah, I think that's one thing that has changed me is like my outlook on life before it was like, okay, I'm going to, you know, these are certain things that I'm going to do, but now it's more like looking, you know, certain goals that I'm going to get to, um, Oh I'll get to those. Now it's more like no, I want to get to those goals. And that was one of the things with Up Nug Heart. It was like I had this idea and you know you always have a lot of ideas, a lot of business ideas or what have you, but I was go- but the fact that I executed it at first mm-hmm. I was like it's great. <laughs> yeah. Um you know uh good for me but i was like you know you i was like back. yeah exactly i was like <laughs> okay at least at least i com- accomplished that one goal but now taking it further and further but again as i said you know one of the things that i have uh definitely come away with is your health is your greatest wealth in this world the second is is that if you have a great support system with without with if I did not, I would not be able to be doing any of this stuff. Um, you know, I have a great support team. And I think if you surround yourself with that, those type of individuals, it can kind of make this journey uh, a whole lot easier, um, you know, because it is quite, you know, with a lot of different things, it's, you know, it's not an easy journey to go mm-hmm. through alone. Um, so we're just hoping that, you know, with our company, we can have our loved ones, you know, Uh, age with dignity, age in place. And, you know, we can offer the women who are in our communities work that they can feel proud of, um, that they're helping, you know, the elderly. Um, You know, it's an honorable job uh, for, you know, and I try to tell, you know, a lot of the ladies that when I go out to speak to different communities, like, please, you know, it's a, it's a good job. Uh, You're helping like your mom or your dad or your grandmother or your grandfather um and as i said it's universal caring is universal compassion is universal um and we all want um, you know to better ourselves and better the community wow well thank you so much shaista and actually i'm going to pl- plug in
1: too that you have an idea for yeah, Can I say that. <laughs> I'm like, is it too soon? <laughs> um, so that is really cool. Where you podcasting? Maybe... <laughs> I don't know if that's going to take off. <laughs> Nobody's doing that. <laughs> so your idea for the show,
2: your is, show, what we're thinking is having caregiving stories, a caregiver's journey. That's the title of the show, which I think that I've settled on a caregiving a caregiver's journey, and we'll read different um, caregiver stories. Again, it'll be a non. Uh, judgment-free zone, because, you know, one of the things that, you know, I don't know how much we touched upon, but there is a lot of caregiver resentment, a lot of caregiver guilt, Um and just, you know, their experience, and then maybe having stories from the client's aspect as well. And as I said, it's, you know, a judgment-free zone. Um, You know, we'll be reading these stories anonymously, Um just so that we can, you know, get, you know, uh, more of these stories out there. Um, and as oh, I great. said, yeah. That's, wow, that's awesome.
1: Looking forward to hearing more.
0: And uh, where can people find out about you? What's a website? Uh, I said you have a website, but you yeah. didn't mention the name.
2: Uh, www.upnagharhomecare.com
0: Okay, how's that? How's that spelled? Because people are uh, listening
2: to this. Uh, right? Oh yeah, so uh, upna a p n a g h a r homecare.com, and you can find us on Facebook too. upnaghar we're the only upnaghar on there. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Awesome. (gasps) Well, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story and again, like shedding light to this very important topic. Um, I'm really excited to share this episode and um, and just want to thank all of our listeners as well for tuning in. Please share, um, like, subscribe, share um, this show and our podcast. We're kind of wrapping up for this season, but send us a message on our Facebook page. You can email us at Stories. It's two S's, Stories at gmail.com. Um, and leave any feedback or any ideas for future shows and um and please check out kind of what, um, what we've had and just share. And, and like I mentioned before, we'd love it if you could leave a review as well. Thank you, Calvin. Thank you, Jess. Thank, Thank you, Shaisa. Thank you. I hope Thank everyone you. has a great day. Bye.